right, good evening. Great to see everybody. Hey, hey, and I just woke you up. Those of you that were into your slumber after a hard day's work, so welcome. Uh, as you can see, we got a new face uh, to the class tonight, but still goes by the same name as Mark. Mark, welcome. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. All right, well, it's good. Be interesting to be here. Yeah, well, the thing is, I've got some hard questions for you, but I will not rebuke you as an older man. You've given me the <laughs> warning right off the bat. I will treat you as a father, Father Mark. All right, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and as we normally do, we're going to read the text, and then uh, the two of us will discuss it and uh, share some of our comments and then open it up to anybody here uh, with the last few minutes of class to either ask some questions or share some comments or insight uh, that you might have on this passage. 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be controlled if... She is not less, I'm sorry, let a widow be enrolled. We'll control them as well. You know, you got to watch those widows. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up her children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudices or doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty 
in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of many people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear latter. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot be remain hidden. All right, we got a lot here to cover, Mark, and we've only got a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and hit you with a hard question first. You ready? Sure. When he talks about the widows there, giving themselves over to Satan or the idea that he says that they need to marry or he says it like this, which is kind of challenging language uh, when you hear it speaking of them, so that they do not incur condemnation for having abandoned their faith. He, he's really kind of putting a charge there on women. Is he saying women have to marry? Uh, no, I think that, of course, we're jumping way down into well, the Well, I, I wanted to get to it before you could, because <laughs> I know how you were thinking already ahead. You already were ready to give me the little Mark Sr., and so yeah, out th- of respect to Mark, I hit you first. Oh, well, uh, I, I think it's pretty important to have it in the total context of these widows who were being enrolled in a particular kind of uh, uh, support. So yeah. there was a, a list. And the contrast between widows who uh, were to be evaluated for this service, because it's clear they were going to have service, and there are qualifications that he talks about that they are, that are to be examined, uh, and, and a vow that they appeared to have been making. I don't think it was one that they're required to make, but one they were choosing to make. These women who were devoting themselves to prayer, to service. Uh, and, you know, I think it would be a circumstance where, you know, women, I think, younger women look and, and admire and should. These, these kinds of women, as they are described here, I keep thinking, Paul, keep going. You're not going to have anybody that's going to meet these high standards. Uh, but we, that's not true. We've got many here, I think, who would meet this. But so he tells them, I think he's telling them, uh, you're not ready yet many for this kind of service. Some who might look and say, I want to do that. I want to take that on. I want to make that promise uh, and, and devote myself. And Paul says, you know, you, you, you may not be prepared for that. Uh, don't be hasty in making a decision like that. And, and so he says, uh, unfortunately, there are those who make that promise or want to make that. And then all of a sudden life becomes real. They become... Uh, tempted with, you know, they, they say, I'll never marry again. And then in walks this, you know, visiting young man who is, uh, you know, six, five. Why, why, why is he always tall? Why is a handsome guy always tall? Because uh, He short, could be five, five, yeah, kind of ruddy. She didn't blue. see him because of the six, <laughs> five guy. <laughs> you know, but, but she, she, you know, life, uh, I think, can sure. catch up. And so he, he doesn't want that to be the case. Also, when he says, you know, later on, and he says, so he's telling her, get on with living. Yeah. Prepare yourself for this time that may come, this season in your life. But, uh, you know, he doesn't want them to uh, make a decision that is not an appropriate one for the time in, in their life. Now, they're, you know, when I was reading that, I thought about Anna who had a husband seven years yeah. and, and spent the rest of her life, life in the temple. Waiting for the Lord. Waiting, waiting for, the, for the Lord. So, so it's not that it couldn't happen, but I think Paul's giving 
advice here uh, as he does in other places as to what is really the more appropriate path. When we look at this uh, chapter, clearly uh, like the entire letter, it's instruction to the preacher. And when you get into this specific passage, you can hear him speak specifically to the preacher. Here's how you are to relate to others. But I want us all to hear, and I think it's important because especially the verbiage in the first two verses is how we relate to one another. And he uses the metaphor of family. Uh, Timothy, as a preacher, you're going to have a responsibility to rebuke. We see that when we go to 2 Timothy 4. Uh, you are to rebuke, exhort, convict. That's part of being a preacher. But when you speak to the older man and need to help him see things clearly, treat him as a father. Uh, the same way to those who are older than you in the faith, treat them as mothers in vice versa form. Those who are older, when you deal with the younger, treat them as your own children. Treat them as sons. Treat them as daughters. Uh, and here's what's kind of also in this passage that we often forget. For some of these people who are probably first-generation Christians, their real moms and dad by birth may have disowned them. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, that was one of the challenges to becoming a Christian and the warning also for those that would go and share the gospel. Your own family may disown you. So where's your father and your mother? in the church, even Jesus would say. I think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And that we refer to each other and see each other as family. When you go from there, though, we go down into his role, and as Mark was talking about, let's get into the widows here, all right? So uh, verse three, and Mark already pointed this out, and I think we probably see this exactly the same. We're not speaking of just widows in general. We're talking about widows whom the church would probably take on to financially support. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah. The idea of enrolled here at the English Standard Version. And, and one of the things I think, uh, to me, reading through this text, this portion in particular, is to not have a wooden reading of it. That is, uh, there is uh, much, uh, I think, uh, to examine here in terms of the unique cultural circumstances that they were in at Ephesus at this time and how it was to be dealt with uh, and in a matter of priority, not prohibition. And I think when you read it in light of the rest of the scriptures, uh, he's not saying you can't help someone who's 59 years old uh, because she doesn't meet the criteria. But this was a specific uh, enrollment uh, that these women were, were dedicating themselves to, uh, to be supported by the church regularly, a regular allotment that was going to be given to them because of their circumstances. Uh, and, and before that happened and before they were taken into that service, there was to be an, an examination as with any leadership type role that a person takes on. Yeah, and it's kind of hard for us to fathom um, a society like this where widows were left without any assistance. Uh, if you go back to Acts 6, when they uh, first reached out to the idea of deacons and bringing deacons in as a responsibility within the church. That was to take care of the widows uh, who were among the saints there in Jerusalem. And so we see this here. Uh, in this society, there wasn't social security. There, there, there wasn't uh, a government program. There probably weren't charities uh, that helped. But if it's brethren, 
You help them. Yeah, well, you Acts, help them. Acts 2, who did they help? Everybody who had need. All that had need. Yeah. Uh, so clearly there's no prohibition here against helping, but there is a priority that is being identified and this particular group of people, which is, you know, I think about the Old Testament and New Testament are, are repeat uh, the, uh, that, that godliness uh, is reflected in how we treat widows and orphans the, who represent the most needy and dependent in that day, but people of their society and the mercy that was to be shown to them uh, was the exhibition of the very character of God. And so that's here in the family of God, here is a circumstance where that is being specifically addressed. Um, anybody's Bible have a footnote uh, in these passages that refers to James 1, 26, 27? Uh, if not, it'd probably be a good place for it. Uh, as James says, pure and undefiled religion before the Father is this. Uh, and, and it's the idea to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's part of true religion, uh, caring for those who are in need. And it begins, first of all, if you listen to the way Paul describes it here, that first responsibility begins with those who are relatives, uh, that they take care of their own household. Kind of powerful language here. If anyone who does not provide for his relatives, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith. Faith, he's worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. I mean, just charity begins at home. Yeah. And that's true. <laughs> that's always been true uh, and recognized. It begins not just in terms of family. This is the way family relationships should work. You know, the King James Version says nephew instead of grandparent, which I think is mm -hmm. perfectly legitimate because... This isn't to be, again, read woodenly, well, oh, that's just my aunt. I don't have a responsibility toward her, or that's a cousin that I don't have. You know, he, 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 I'm sorry, I don't have a responsibility. First cousin, yes. Second cousin, yeah. no. Right. Third, yeah. third, what is it? Third cousin removed, and you're whatever, yeah. by marriage or whatever What is else? the consanguinity? Usually it's third degree, right, Joy? Uh, <laughs> that that uh, you relieve yourself of that relationship. But when you look at, uh, at, at then what Paul is saying about that, if you look at the reasons he gives for why this should happen, it, that's going to apply in a lot of circumstances, why it's right to do it. One, he says, practice piety, holiness, godliness. It's a right thing to do because it's being God-like. Why, why would I expect the church to care for people that I have known and loved and all my life and have shared the most important that why would I think that that should be for you to do before I would take care of that responsibility? That just doesn't fit. And then the second reason he gives, of course, is it's, it's right to make return. It's right to pay back. And of course, that clearly applies to parents, generally grandparents uh, who give so much uh, to our upbringing and care but it also can apply to people uh, who are uncles, cousins, may not even be a relative that that would apply to. So there have been people who say, yeah, he, he practically raised me. He did good to me. He provided. So we could look at that and say, yes, I have a duty to this person. They, they have meant so much to me. Uh, Paul, I think, 
you know, when he deals with uh, Philemon and he talks about Onesimus and he says, he, you know, I'll pay back whatever he owes, but just remember, Philemon, you owe me your soul. Uh, and so he, he is saying, it's right to pay back, Philemon, uh, to me what you owe. So he's just making this same obvious principle that you don't have to be a Christian to know these principles. Uh, and when he says that you're worse than an unbeliever, I think that's part and parcel. Even, even on, you don't have, there are a lot of people who, in cultures where people take great care of their yeah. family members or That's funny you should say that. Uh, I found a quote by Cicero. Every man should care for his own family. Cicero, all right? So we're talking about Greek uh, philosopher. Every man should, so even in that community, uh, as in that day, you took care of your own. Uh, the Christian family, though, really takes it a step further. We don't just take care of those within our household, which would be our responsibility. We're longing to make sure we provide for those who are part of our Christian household. And I, I, I like the way you said that earlier. This isn't so much looking for a prohibition. Well, let me see if I can find a reason not to support this lady, all right? Well, oh, she needs help. Well, have y'all looked at this list? Go and look at this list. Just uh, if you want to raise your hand on this one and feel like this is you, so you deserve report, listen to this list. I'll begin in, in chapter 5, all right? Verse 10, here she is. She has a reputation for good works. Oh, that's pretty good. She's brought up her children. Okay, they're a little older. She's been a good mom. She's shown hospitality. Hospitality. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's cared for the afflicted. And she's devoted herself to every good work. Oh, well, we all got disqualified in that, didn't we? <laughs> that's, that's quite the list. But I think his point is you're helping to support somebody who has a love for the Lord. And she is committed to the family as much as we're going to be committed to her. But I wouldn't look at it as, a, I mean, if you really wanted to get nitpicky, you could go, well, you know, she didn't come to services there for a few weeks. You know, she, I know she, that's not his point. That's not his point. Uh, but he does say there should be limits. And I think that is a point uh, that needs to be noted. Uh, I've always found the age thing to be a little interesting. Um, Maybe just in that day and age, you know, 60 years old. Um, maybe there was an opportunity to remarry or maybe support herself, maybe be a, a Lydia, you know, and be her own seller of purple. It's kind of interesting when you look at it. But care for your own. And you got any comments on that through those first few verses? Uh, no, I just uh, would emphasize here uh, as you look at that great list and then what we talked about earlier. And when he says this isn't for younger women, I think that's, she's still to be engaged in this kind of service, right. uh, proving herself in this way. And there is something to be said for getting on with life, getting on with the business of, of living. And the encouragement here, when, especially in that day and time, uh, marry, uh, raise children, uh, do the things that uh, God would desire you to do and be fruitful. Uh, rather, rather than make uh, a hasty, I think, is really decision uh, to, and then find yourself uh, not able to follow through. Yeah, and I, uh, Shane Scott has an interesting uh, commentary on this concept of marrying or 
remarrying too quickly and being too hasty. And here's the way he says it when he sits down with couples now and he's in pre-marriage counseling or he's talking to them. And uh, he says, just remember, marriage is temporary. Eternity is forever. And I think that's good advice. You know, we sometimes may make some poor choices for the desire, the desire, the longing, the longing not to be alone, to get married, and we can make a bad choice. But it's nothing compared to eternity. And be careful in our choices, uh, I think, would be appropriate as well. All right. Well, you got anything then through the widow portion? Anything else you want to add? Verses 1 to 16. Uh you have more notes than Mark, by the way. Yeah. Actually, you I, I have do. notes. Mark doesn't bring notes. Yeah, I'm I, proud I, of you. I, I've noticed that. I do think uh, that, you know, that right there at the end where, again, where he says, let not the church be burdened. Again, this is not a prohibition. It's a matter of priority, and it's a principle. They're just so, to me, I'm looking at this whole chapter with many principles to be applied. So clearly he's not saying if someone... Uh, is destitute and finds himself who, uh, who wouldn't meet all of these qualifications. They, they can't be helped in any way. He's not, he's not saying that at, at all. But he is saying, you have, if, if this is your family, if it's your uh, loved one, you have the first responsibility. So the church can then take care of the ones that really need to be taken care of. If you're not doing what you need to do, then the church is burdened. It's not the church is prohibited, but it's otherwise, how would that hinder the church from caring for the older ones? Because they're not going to do anything for these ladies. Well, so that wouldn't fit. So clearly he's saying, you take care of your own so the church doesn't have to, uh, which would imply the church would. If you, if you don't, they're going to step up and do what needs to be done. Uh, but that means others may, you know, as we all know there's only so much that can be done. And to me, that's a big, broad principle that applies to all the church tries to do. When you think of everyone, use your gifts. Do what you can. Fill your role. Because if you don't fill your role, uh, someone else has to do it. But that means that in filling the place that you should be filling, they can't then be doing other things that they need to do. I know we got a few more verses we want to get to here, and, and he kind of changes subjects, but let me, I'd like to add one more thing with this. While he's talking about financial matters and caring for widows, although it's not specifically mentioned, I think it's implied, even if that widow does not need financial assistance from you, you care for her like a mother. You treat her like a mother. You visit her. You look after her you care for her as a son would his own mom to make sure she's okay. And, and that applies regardless. That, that would be just my simple commentary that's not specifically mentioned there, but I think it's implied because we started all this off with a family relationship. So who is she? She's your mother. That makes sense? You're her son, uh, even if it's in the faith, if you look at that from the way Paul speaks to Timothy. All right, from verse 17 to the end of the chapter, I think he kind of hits just some single things. Uh, and although in our Bibles it's not separated by paragraph, there's like individual items here that would just be almost bullet point items that don't necessarily all just weave together, but he hits one after another. The first is, let those who are elders be 
Well, it almost sounds like be compensated. Is that way you would take That's, it? Don't muzzle the ox. I, I, this is, if I, I you're an elder in service, you deserve to be paid for your labor. No, he says those that work hard, and clearly they're preaching and teaching. Uh, I think you've got an expanded, if you want to read an expanded uh, section, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 13, uh, makes the case very clearly for the right of support, the laborers worthy of his hire. Uh, and he should be worthy by working hard. Uh, since you're the preacher here, let me take just a moment to say, first of all, I know this man works hard. I've been up, uh, worked alongside him for a long time to say uh, he's a hardworking uh, guy, uh, very hardworking. So, he doesn't have to be ashamed of the salary that he gets paid. Uh, he's earned it. Uh, uh, but but as, if we were talking to young preachers or people that want to take on this role, you should earn what you're being paid. These brethren that are supporting you, that are out doing other jobs, uh, are allowing you to be able to do this important work. Uh, and if you're doing the work, then you deserve to be supported. You don't have anything to apologize for or be ashamed of uh, if you're working hard in the role that you have taken. And the brethren should recognize that they have a responsibility to uh, make sure that the needs of this person are met. And, you know, it becomes one of those things people like to joke about, and sometimes it's fine. You know, well, you only work two days a week or four hours a week, you know, <clears throat> in terms of preaching. Well, uh, I can tell you uh, from my personal experience, i uh, never worked harder in my life than when I was preaching full-time, and I know this gentleman uh, works hard at what he does, and, and it's right that we support him and we share in what he does. Oh, you get to come back next week. I'm going to let him stay here. Mark's out. Mark's in. Thank you. Uh, no, I appreciate that. I, I will say this just uh, personally. I, I found it easier to do things when I was in the news business and preaching because I wanted to be a self-supporting preacher because I always had this big hang-up with taking money from churches. Uh, the, the immediate scrutiny, the immediate challenges. I trust the Lord. I just didn't trust the brethren. Uh, was probably a way to kind of say it at times, but uh, it is extremely refreshing and it is so encouraging uh, when you are with a family in Christ that is so good and y'all are great. Y'all are really good. And so, Sean and I both appreciate that uh, a lot. He also implies, though, that the elder, those who are working, uh, are worthy of, of receiving wages. So it may not just be the preacher, uh, but those who are working in, in ministry. Uh, in serving regardless. Now, he does say this, though. If you're going to bring a charge against an elder, you need to follow the pattern that you find in the Old Testament. And that would be really applicable to any charge you bring against somebody. Witnesses, two or three witnesses. Watch the flippant charge uh, against elders. Uh, as many of you know, anybody who puts himself in a leadership position, you kind of get a target on your back. Uh, and, and that's a blessing and a curse. Keeps you in line, but also... Uh, it can come with its challenges. And so, uh, Timothy, be very, very careful uh, about this. Uh, so you see that admonition. And then, and then you see him make this comment. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Your thoughts on that one? Well, I think it has to do with, to me, this whole section. 
uh, well, with the I, elders I, part, yeah, elder here, what, elders what are he's saying here, here about yeah. leadership, mm -hmm. uh, and and he's saying don't don't uh, uh, don't take a role of authority or pass on that authority to somebody. Well, else he says or, don't make accusations against them first of yeah, all. Yeah. And if you are going to, you should make two or three two or three witnesses. But if they don't don't repent, what does he say? Uh, make an example of them. Make an example yeah. of yeah. them. That every, so they're not to be treated any differently because they have a leadership role. Uh, the credibility and character of leadership is stock, their stock and trade. And, and that's true for preachers and elders. That's why he keeps telling Timothy, you be an example of what you're doing. So don't take lightly that as a, as a member. Don't undermine that. Uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, but if it is a real issue, and not only should it be dealt with in a straightforward and public way, as Matthew 18, the Old Testament uh, says, it needs to be addressed if they don't repent uh, of what they're doing. Uh, then he says, so don't be too hasty about laying, I think the laying on of hands is the choosing, choosing of, those, of, of those people. Yeah. And, yeah. and it comes back to it later, I think, at the end of the chapter in terms of what he says about Secret sins. Uh, things and come out. Things yeah. come out. He's saying, do your investigation uh, of, of, of these men before. It's not as conspicuous. It'll come out pretty much later, yeah. 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 Well, well, he also says, don't do it lest you what? Be party to their sins. And what he's, I think what he's saying there is in the context that he's making is, look, people may want to take on this role of leadership. It's an awesome responsibility. It's one that uh, carries a great deal of, uh, can, can do a lot of good or a lot of harm, and churches have been harmed by uh, poor leadership, and they were in New Testament times. Uh, and so in part of his duty there, as was Titus, was to install elders, make sure that leaders were uh, selected. And he's telling them, be sure you choose the men who are qualified, don't be hasty because someone says, well, I want to be an elder. Uh, okay, uh, or just because someone says, well, you know, brother so-and-so, you may not know anything bad about him. Investigate, because if you don't look carefully at the person, if you don't examine them carefully, uh, and you put them, and to me, it's like, uh, what comes to mind is, if you're the athletic director and you hire the coach, uh, and then it finds out he's not qualified at all for the job, or he's a scoundrel, and you should have known better. Uh, You—that's on you. That's yeah. on you. That's on and you. that's what he's telling him. It's on you. You're going to make recommendations to these people about this person should be serving as a shepherd, and they're going to take that. You have a great responsibility in that. And he's saying you need to take that seriously. Don't just hastily say, "Okay, you want to be an elder? Or you're an elder." Uh, no. Uh, look at the qualifications and and yeah. be sure they... Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's not just the qualifications. Uh, if you look over in 1 Peter 5, Mark and I, Mark Sr. and I, uh, actually recorded a 1 Peter lesson that uh, went out uh, this evening. And we normally don't look at 1 Peter 5 when we do a qualification list of elders. We go to 1 Timothy 3 and we go to Titus 1. But here you find through the words of Peter, a fellow elder, uh, that the eldership role should be examined as well as qualifications. 
that you're looking for somebody who is a shepherd, shepherd mentality, not a CEO or a sheriff who's just enforcing laws, not somebody who just sits in the corner office and makes decisions, but somebody who is leading the people by example. Uh, somebody who they're willing to follow, who exercises oversight without compulsion, uh, but does it willingly, uh, is somebody who would lead as God would have him lead. And therefore, he's looking at the character and the attributes that you see in our Heavenly Father. It's not for shameful gain. In other words, he's not just a guy that just likes preeminence or likes to be in control, likes to be in charge. And it's not the idea that, hey, I know how to run this place. Just put me in charge. I'll just clean it up real quick. But, but he does it with eagerness, not domineering, but an example to the flock. And, 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 and you'll notice also, it speaks to how you would want to follow him. Uh, one of the things we sometimes say when we're uh, speaking to husbands and wives, husbands, be so loving and gentle that it makes submissiveness easy for your wife. And wives, be so willing to respect and love that it makes his leadership easy. Same thing with the elder flock relationship. Somebody that you're willing to humble yourself and follow. Uh, somebody who you would like to be uh, in that role. And so it, it kind of goes beyond just a mandatory list of qualifications. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think about, uh, we have a lot of young parents uh, here. And usually we, at some point, think about if something were to happen to me, who would I want? to have responsibility for my children. If you've thought about that or you ask someone that at some point in time, what did you think about? Did you say, well, they're successful in business. So that's who I want to raise my children. Is, is that what you would look at? Uh, what would be the qualities? What is it about that person that you would say, yes, I want this person to be responsible for my children? You know, I think we would all say, I want them to be loving, kind, and, and I'm, I'm going to examine that carefully. They're going to care for their soul. They're going to be good exam. We look at all those things. Well, the same here, to me, principle is being applied. They are going to have the responsibility of caring for God's children. So who... They need to have a shepherd's heart. And he's saying, make sure they do before you put God's children under their care. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you bear responsibility. So, you know, that, that is a tremendous responsibility that uh, Timothy had. And just sort of in line with this, I, I, I sort of got off on a tangent. I'll get a little off on it. But it goes back to the accusations being made. Be careful what you say uh, at home, about leadership, about the church. Be careful uh, not to undermine uh, the, the uh, and you can tell in the way children respond to you sometimes that their parents have already built in them this respect for the leadership. Be careful about that. And I would compare that to, you know, what would you want me to say to your children if they were you know, you want me talking, you know, your mom and dad, they don't know a thing. I'm, they, I'm so sorry they have to raise you because they don't know what they're doing. Or if they came and said, you know, my parents make me clean my room. And take, I don't know why. They're probably hurting your immune system. They, they shouldn't, you know. Or, you know, they, they make me do chores. And, uh, you know, they, they, they make me eat my vegetables. Well, you know, you could eat a gummy and that'd take care of the vitamin. You know, what I tell the children, I say it up here and I mean it. There's nobody cares about you like your parents and, and, and that loves you. And before you take someone else's advice and follow their 
what they think is good for you. You better listen to your parents carefully and what they're saying because they want what's best for you. You can count on that. And what I would say to you in regard to that is don't make a liar out of me. Uh, don't, 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 don't let, be sure that I'm being truthful when I tell them that and, and I have confidence that I am. But that goes with leaders as well. If you undermine the, them, then don't be surprised if they lose the most important leverage they have to lead. Well, and I think it also goes back to be careful who you listen to. If somebody is degrading the elders or degrading leadership or speaking uh, evil or negatively about somebody, first of all, don't think they won't say it about you. Clearly, they're prone to that. But, but secondly, just be mindful. Be mindful that there's more to it than maybe what you know. And uh, I think one thing about any kind of role, especially like this, it's safe to assume the elders may have more information about a subject than you do, uh, or they may know something more or have more details. You know, just keep those things in mind. Be careful. I think it just goes back to the idea of hastiness and judgment could go through here. Uh, we've only got a few moments left. Uh, uh, we'll open it up for questions or comments. Did you want to say anything about wine for the stomach's sake? Yeah, I don't mind. You know, to me, that's a parenthetical statement. Uh, I think when Paul gives Timothy a charge, he says, look, this is serious, Timothy. You need to take it seriously. All through this, he's telling him, be an example, be pure. And, and it's almost as though Paul remembers as he's giving the charge and telling Timothy to be pure. Timothy was so intent on being a good example, being pure. He was he only... Was a follower. Yeah, probably. he was only drinking water, I think, lest... Anyone would accuse him of anything improper, that he was uh, a wine-bibber, that he was a drunkard, or that he was drinking strong drink. So Timothy just said, I'm not even going to give anybody reason. And Paul says, it's okay to take a little medicine, Timothy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably you, not you the know. idea of a license to drink no. as much as it is. All right, Timothy, lighten up a little bit. You'll be okay. Yeah. You need something for your stomach's sake. Yeah, yeah, take it. Yeah. So, you know, that seems to me to the context. All right, any questions or comments? Anybody got any thoughts? He's done a good job. He's done back anytime. Yeah, oh, really good. I would not go near it would be the advice. Absolutely. That would be the context there. If you're a recovering alcoholic, no, that would not apply to you, uh, would be my advice. And I think that's what you would get from anybody in that field. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, thank you very, very much. And we'll pick it up with 1 Timothy 6 next week. Thank you, Mark. Thank well done. Enjoy it.